You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Larry, or should I say Chairman Brown. (laughs) Uh, I'm very grateful to be here. Thankful to the Board of Trustees, the Cabinet, Asbury's past presidents, the delegates and guests representing other schools and organizations and ministries, the faculty and students, of course, of Asbury. I enjoyed our conversation last night. And, of course, Dr. and Mrs. Brown for the great privilege of being able to speak to you and offer a word of challenge both to you and to all of us on this incredibly special day. Every community, like every family, needs story keepers. Elders who remember the past and are able to frame current events in light of the past to provide both meaning and illumination. There are women and men here today, many of whom are on this platform, who are the story keepers of Asbury. They anchor you to the past and are able to frame today's inauguration in light of this school's great history and heritage. Being here today, however, I can't help but feel my status as a guest, partly because I chose not to wear regalia. It was an option for me today, and the reason I didn't is because last time I spoke at a university with the regalia on, I sweated so much that it was distracting for everybody, including myself. (laughs) Given the weather today, I think I made the wrong decision. (laughs) But though I am a guest and warmly welcomed and graciously received, I nonetheless am not a story keeper of Asbury. I cannot frame today's events in light of your rich history and heritage because it's one I haven't shared. So instead, I want to come to you as a guest and frame this event in light of a wider history, a history we all share, a story that belongs to all of us. Dr. Brown, I know, is very well aware of the challenges that he is facing as he steps into this incredible calling. Challenges that are not merely for Asbury, not just for higher education, but challenges that we face as a people, as a nation, and certainly as followers of Christ. When Martin Luther stood before the Holy Roman Emperor in 1521, he declared, we are at the dawn of a new era. Lord Acton later referred to this moment as a hinge in history, a moment when the world changed and turned in a new direction. Is it too bold to believe that we are living through another hinge of history? Is it too presumptuous to believe that this era of change may well dwarf all the others that have preceded it? The hinge of history in the past has turned because of a transformative leader, because of unexpected events, a revolutionary idea, a natural disaster, or some combination of these things. What's different today are the sheer number of forces that are pushing upon the hinge and forcing us to rethink assumptions about the past and direction we will go for the future. Technology is fundamentally changing the social and even biological systems of our species. Globalization is making the world into a neighborhood, even as we struggle, in the words of Dr. King, to become a brotherhood. Pluralism is reconfiguring cultures into a kaleidoscope of humanity, even as it triggers a backlash of tribalism and nationalism. Secularization in the West is trying to keep pace with the spread of Christianity in the global South. The implications of climate change are being felt from the polar ice sheets to Wall Street. 
And we're seeing the emergence of a young activist generation, many of you, who want to go out into this world and heal its ills, even as your generation is facing unprecedented levels of mental illness itself. I could go on. The challenges are overwhelming, and any one of these would be formidable. But taken together, these forces aren't merely pushing on the hinge of history, but threatening to rend it from its frame altogether. And it's in the midst of this uncertainty, of these challenges, of this upheaval, that we turn our eyes to our institutions of Christian higher education and those who are called to lead them. They are the vanguard. They are the rocks upon which these forces of history are crashing first. And how Christian colleges and universities respond to these challenges, how they adapt to their call to make disciples of Jesus Christ, how they seek to manifest the kingdom of God in all of its glory and all of its permutations in our age may well determine the future of the American church altogether. So for that reason, I do not envy your calling. <laughs> It is a challenging one, Dr. Brown. It is not easy, but the callings that matter most never are. If you find any encouragement today, I hope it's in this, that you are not entering into this challenge alone. The law of Christ calls us to bear one another's burdens. You who are on this platform and represent Asbury's past, you the story keepers, as well as you in the congregation who represent the story of Asbury that is still to be told, you all are called to help Dr. Brown carry this burden. That can take many forms, but one form it must absolutely take is prayer. Praying that he will receive the wisdom, the perseverance, and above all, the grace of God to face these challenges without fear and with the assurance that Christ is with him as surely as he is with us. But let me be clear. This responsibility, these historic challenges, do not fall to Dr. Brown alone. They do not even fall to the educators and leaders of higher ed alone because these challenges that we face today are not simply institutional in scope. They are generational. This burden and carrying it together means that we cannot be mere onlookers. We cannot just be cheering on those in the arena who are figuring out how to navigate through these torrential changes and upheaval of systems. It means that we can't just be encouraging our leaders while they fight these battles for us. We must enter into the action ourselves. This is a challenge not just for Dr. Brown, but for every one of us here today. The writer of Hebrews describes the saints who have gone before us as a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, watching us, cheering us on. But friends, we are not part of that cloud. We are not mere witnesses of history, at least not yet. In his divine wisdom, our Heavenly Father has chosen to place us, you and I, in this moment of history. He has put us on the stage at this pivotal generation, and it is not to be spectators. No, we are here for a reason. It is now our turn to put our hand on the hinge of history and turn the world with the power not of this world. With Dr. Brown, though, we must take up this call, not because we believe we will be successful. We cannot know that. 
In a cosmic sense, of course, we have victory in Christ. But in the details of our time and our day, we don't know if we will be successful. And we do not take up this challenge because we believe that we possess in ourselves the power to bend history. We certainly do not. And even if we did, we would not have the wisdom to know which way it ought to turn. Victory over the forces at work in the world today is ultimately in God's hands. And the wisdom to direct history is coming from heaven's perspective and not earth's. So, Dr. Brown, I challenge you and I challenge all of us to take up this call, this burden, not with faith in ourselves, but with all faith in the one who has called us to it. Success is God's business. Obedience is ours. I'm reminded of John Adams' letter to his wife Abigail during the American Revolution. He said, We can't guarantee success in this war, but we can do something better. We can deserve it. In his words, I hear the echo of Paul's command to the Ephesians walk in a manner worthy of the calling you have received. For Adams, like Paul, victory was about virtue. Character was the ultimate measure of success. With this in mind, I want to highlight two virtues that we must possess as we enter into this time of dramatic change in the world. Things that we must exhibit if we are to engage our call in a manner worthy of our Lord and worthy of this moment in history into which he has placed us. The first virtue is that we must be a people of joy. In challenging times like these, it is natural to become nostalgic, to focus on the past, when things were easier, when they were simpler, when there was more shared understanding, when our faith was more dominant in the culture. Or in times like these, it can become tempting to fixate on the glorious future and the kingdom that is still to come. But we cannot travel to the past, nor can we fast forward to the future. And joy is only to be found, like our Lord, in the present. Christians who long to relive the past or who wish to fast forward to the future are in a way like Jonah, in active disobedience by running away from God's calling to us today. By focusing on the past or the future, we are denying our calling to this present time and this place. And joy, as Jonah shows us, is never found by those who are running from the calling of the Lord. For that reason, we Christians ought to be the very last people to complain about the world and its current circumstances. Because as challenging as they are, they are the circumstances in which God has called us to discover joy. And we ought to be the very last to be consumed by anger and outrage, as if somehow what is happening in the world is what we do not deserve. These obstacles before us we didn't choose. We did not choose to be born to this generation, to this hinge of history. Many of us did not choose to occupy this culture and this place. But here is the secret we must understand. The secret to true joy is learning to choose what we did not choose. It means learning to see the image of our Creator in the face of that neighbor that we never would have chosen for ourselves. It means learning to believe and choose to believe that we will discover fellowship with Christ himself as we step into the challenges of our age that we would not choose for ourselves. 
So as we put our hand to the hinge of history, let us do it with joy rather than anger, knowing that God is there with us and desires to fellowship with us in the midst of these times. Second, we must become a people of kindness. It's a rare and precious virtue today, and that should not surprise us. Fear is the enemy of kindness. The great challenges occurring today are making many people, including many Christians, terribly afraid. Aquinas said that fear was a contracting posture of the soul, that it makes us turn inward, and in fear we can only fixate upon ourselves, our welfare, our survival. Fear makes us ultimately indifferent to the needs of others and incapable of empathy. But we have not been given a spirit of fear. We have been given a spirit of freedom and power. We have been set free from the self-absorption that shackles our culture, and in that freedom we have been given the divine capacity to give, to love, to serve, to bless, and to sacrifice for the sake of others in a way that the world will find inexplicable. As I travel around the country, I see a lot of fear. Fear within communities, fear within churches, fear within organizations, and yes, even within colleges and universities. And that fear can make us focused, obsessed with our own self-preservation. It can lead us to justify all kinds of ungodly attitudes and behaviors, all in the name of uh, perpetuating our institutions, and our way of life at all costs. And when we fall into that trap, into that contraction of the soul, it so easily allows meanness to eclipse kindness. And we invert the Christian virtues to look like the world rather than the kingdom of God. May that not be true of us. The kindness of Christ reminds us that we are not fighting against our non-Christian neighbors, but for them. And we're not called to seek our interests or even the interests of our institutions, but the interests of others and that of the world that Christ has come to save. And like our Lord, we are not here to be served, but to serve and to give ourselves, and if necessary, yes, to give up even our institutions for the sake of the world. So my great hope for Asbury and for you, Dr. Brown, as you step into this role and my hope, frankly, for Christians throughout our land is that you would become a beacon of service rather than self-interest, that this would be a community of inexplicable kindness rather than outrage. Dr. Brown, faculty and students of Asbury, my fellow guests, the challenges before us are great, even unprecedented, and as we step into them, there will be many tears to shed many challenges to face, many difficult decisions to make. But I am confident of this. Fear and anger will be no help to us. So let us put these instruments of our age and those who wield them aside and instead take up the virtues of our joyful Christ and his kingdom of kindness. Dr. Brown As you put your hand to the hinge of history, I hope you remember that you are not alone. 
The hands of Asbury's past and the hands of Asbury's future are with you. And as we push together, filled with the joy of the Lord and with kindness toward all, we are eager to enter this new era with you and to see a new dawning of grace, not just here at Asbury, but throughout our land. May we together walk in a manner worthy of so great a call. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we know that it is your hand who has steered history. It is your hand that has brought this university into being. It is your hand that has sustained it, and it is your hand that has called Dr. Brown to be its next leader. We ask that you would grant him the wisdom, the perseverance, and the grace necessary to fulfill this role. We pray for those who have come before him, that they would be of great encouragement and resource to him. I pray for the students and faculty who share this calling with him, that they would help him to bear this burden. And Lord, we pray for our entire land and your people within it, that we would be worthy of this time, of this call, and that we would faithfully reflect your presence to this dark world around us that so desperately needs the hope of your gospel. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit as one God, now and forever. Amen.